Hello there, I'm John Ryan, and you're very welcome to the latest edition of the Work Healthy podcast, where we'll be discussing the subject of burnout. Clinical psychologist Diana Pines once said that many people she knew who complained about burnout had never actually been on fire in the first place. And while that may be true, it is a very big issue with employees across the world. And as we head into recessionary times, it'll probably become more prevalent. There are a few people more qualified to talk about this subject than Professor Wilmar Schofeli, organizational psychologist with Utrecht University in the Netherlands. And in a really fascinating interview, we discussed the, the definition of burnout, how many people actually cope in the wrong way with burnout, and why your personality might make it more probable that you may suffer burnout. However, I started by asking Wilmar, who's been researching the topic for 50 years and has published a seminal document in 2008, whether we have now finally solved the problem of burnout, and if not, why not? Yeah, well, a huge question. We now know that when we are talking about burnout, we are actually talking about different things. And that was not so clear in that paper in 2008. Because And it has also to do with the, the way the original concept was designed in the U.S. and it is used in the U.S. in the U.S. context versus the context in Europe. And what you see that in the U.S., and this is the tradition of burnout research, that burnout is something like, yeah, it's, it's, it's a kind of crisis that people have with their, uh, with their work. Uh, but it not necessarily means that they are sick and that they are at home and that they have a kind of mental disorder. They just don't feel right at the job on certain dimensions. And this is the way it's still used in the US. And then you get numbers of 40%, 60%, 80% of, the, of, of some kind of samples, they are burned out. Uh, but then you are talking about mild burnout complaints. On the other hand, you have a practice in Europe, and I know a little bit in the Netherlands, and I know in, in Sweden, where burnout is also considered a, a disorder uh, that is defined in, in guidelines that are used by occupational physicians. And that means that people who are, have burnout as a disorder, so severe burnout, severe burnout symptoms, that they, uh, according to these guidelines, um, are on sick leave for over six months or six months or, or more, and that they have all kind of grave uh, symptoms that they are not available, that are uh, that they have cognitive dysfunctions, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But then you are talking about different things, and these are mixed up all the time. And most of the people who have burnout complains that either they they learn to live with it. Uh, we did a study, for instance, on these these complaints in in occupational physicians. We followed them ten years after five and after 10 years. And what you see that within five years, about one third sees a kind of spontaneous recovery, uh, but still a two third of the people still have this, this very high or very relatively high symptom levels. Uh, but they are, uh, they are symptoms and they are not disorders. So that means that these doctors still function, they still work, but they're, they have complaints and they, are, they feel tired and they are not, not feeling optimal. I think this is something very important. I came to see this as a more important thing than 
I saw it when I when it was 2008 when I wrote this uh, when I wrote this paper. So I think that that companies focus very much on the first part, and probably they should do they do it with questionnaires, etc. But on the second part, the more severe, uh, we don't know so much about that. We don't know what what you can do about this because the the burnout complaints you can you can work with. Uh, uh, with preventive measures, and that this is done in companies very often. Uh, but the severe burnout is something that that sometimes people think that you're talking about severe burnout, but they mean question. They, they mean uh, that these are these uh, these symptoms. And then you get uh, there is a Dutch working uh, 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 what is it? An, um, a working condition survey, an annual survey, and then they say 16% uh, of the Dutch people had has burnout complaints and then it's it's in the news that uh, 60 percent is burnout and all people think that burnout oh, is a very big problem and that these people are as they have a kind of disturbance and occupational injury or, or occupational disease but it's not they, they have these complaints and that's that's a little bit fooling fooling the public so to say yeah it's confusing so, and I, I suppose just in that article, you talk about the evolution of the definition nearly of, of burnout. And yeah. so, so now, like nearly 50 years on, what is kind of the, the working definition of burnout? Well, there is this, this strange phenomenon that there is a parallel with, with, uh, um, with intelligence. So nobody exactly knows what intelligence is. And then we end up by saying that, well, it's what the intelligence test is measuring. And it's the same with burnout. But it, burnout is what the Maslach burnout inventory is measuring. And this is a, a questionnaire that has been developed in 1981 um, as a research instrument, not as a, as a diagnostic tool. And it's it's there are norms uh, or not norms there are F, actually reference values based on on uh, non-representative groups uh, that that stem from the beginning of the 1980s and are still used. So it's 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 a little bit of a of a mess there, and that's the reason why I developed with my colleagues at Leuven University a new tool that also includes. Um, uh, cognitive and emotional impairment. So cognitive impairment meaning uh, a, a lack of uh, concentration, lack of um, the memory, decision making and all this cognitive function and emotional impairment meaning that people feel irritable, that they they are very, uh, they burst out in kind of a hostile behaviors and they start crying uh, when they don't want to cry. So it's it's a more updated definition. And what we also do is uh, having uh, patient samples that have been identified based on these on these uh, uh, clinical definitions of burnout that that are present, for instance, in the Netherlands, but also in Sweden. You have occupational physicians that that label people burnout according to these uh, uh, criteria, and then have them fill out a questionnaire so that you know what the score is, and then you can. Um, compute a, a sensitive kind of cutoff score. And so this is the way we are approaching it now, which is way better than it, it used to be. So I would say burnout, the definition is still, uh, it's, it's a, you can say it's a kind of mental, uh, mental exhaustion. That mm. this is the 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 key issue of, of it, and then you have this impairment, cognitive and emotional, 
which in a way result from this mental exhaustion because when you feel so exhausted you're not able to to manage your your uh, emotions and your your uh, uh, cognitive uh, processes and there is this mental distance that that cynical attitude and that, that being not involved and not empathic and, and and so on so these four issues and 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 i i think this is a better definition uh, although i must say that i'm having <laughs> i'm in a kind of battle against the the mbi shooting in my own foot because i'm also i was one of the persons actually i had the idea to 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 change the original MBI that was focusing exclusively on human service professionals to make it a more general in 1996, uh, a more general uh, questionnaire so that burnout can also be assessed in all other kind of mm. uh, professions like managers and IT professionals, etc. So I, I, I did that and now I'm saying it's the wrong measure. So yeah, okay. But uh, I am uh, developing in that in that sense. So so the, the ICD-11 now, the International Classification of Diseases of the World Health Organization, they included burnout in this classification system. And the interesting thing is that it is called International Classification of Diseases but uh, in the definition, they say, well, burnout is not a disease, but it is a, an occupational phenomenon. Uh, and then I ask myself, OK, when it's an occupational phenomenon, why do you list it in a list of diseases? But anyway, they do so. And then define, they define it in terms of the MBI. So they say it's, it's exhaustion, it is mental distancing, and it is lack of, uh, of his reduced personal accomplishment or something like that. Mm. So you see that, that, that this questionnaire is used, it, it's a questionnaire, and it's used to define the phenomenon, which I think it's not a, in hindsight, it's uh, it's not a sound way to to think about these kind of, uh, of phenomena. Mm. I'm, I'm just interested because oftentimes, you know, you look at the last 24 months and the, the, the sector of society that was, under most pressure and completely overwhelmed was the the healthcare systems of every country yeah. to deal with COVID. And in a lot of cases, sometimes consultants um, and doctors can actually come across as lacking a degree of empathy when oftentimes they're giving a really tough prognosis to a particular patient. Yeah. I'm just wondering, you know, based on what you're saying there, could those two things go hand in hand, the sense that they're completely burnt out and overwhelmed and that leads to a, a sort of disattachment um, and this sense of sort of depersonalization and a lack of empathy yeah i mean that that's the, the, the that lack of empathy or that that depersonalization or that cynical attitude and mental distance which is a kind of of, of higher order concept um, that's a, a a way of coping that's a coping attempt. So yeah. you try to cope with a very difficult situation by uh, when you are in a very emotionally demanding or mentally demanding situation. What you do is you you withdraw yourself from that situation. Uh, it's it's a kind of restoring the balance uh, in a way by by keeping that dis distance. So when I'm getting sick and tired for my job, I try to get away from it, at least mentally. Um, but it is not working because it's actually increasing because the patients are are still there 
and and you still have to do your job, but now you have to do it in a more detached way, which which makes it even more difficult. So it's it's the wrong way of um, uh, of of coping with uh, with stress for for caregivers. It's uh, that's the old idea of detached concern. This is the 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 professional attitude that they they should have detached concern. Uh, but in, when people are in this process of burning out, then what they actually do is to have more uh, uh, less concern and and more detachment, and that's not actually what what they should do. So it's an overreaction. Uh, it's a wrong way of uh, of coping that is implied there. It's interesting because I mean, when you talk about uh, let's say engagement in a, a general sense. Uh, you mentioned that some people are more prone to it than, you know, others from a personality point of view. Is that the same for burnout? Do you think some people yeah. are prone to it? Yeah, yeah, there is a lot of research and some of the research is kind of trivial as well, because the the, the strongest relation when you talk about the big five personality uh, traits, then the strongest relation is with uh, neuroticism or uh, stability. Uh, uh, what is it? Uh, emotional instability, which, I mean, yeah. What is emotional instability? It's it's that you are actually prone, by definition, to sadness, to anxiety, and also to burnout. So, but there is also research showing that it has to do with lack of optimism, lack of self-esteem, lack of self-efficacy. So there are is is a whole bunch of. Uh, internal uh, or uh, uh, sorry, external locus of control. So there is a, a whole set of uh, of personality uh, characteristics that 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 are related to burnout. But as as usual, it's 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 the result of a complex interaction between person and environment, mm. and that that results uh, so in in burnout. Later. I, I'm interested. One of the things I think is that's brilliant about you is that you you manage to bring all the theories and the this the science and the like and and simplify it in a way that it gets cut through and people can kind of go I get it I see now what you're saying and I can act on that. But does it disappoint you that it, it just concepts like self-efficacy and uh, you know optimism and the like? I mean th these can be learned and developed. But yet you don't hear very often of people doing coursework on on developing those things. Why do you think that is? Well, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I mean, but, but when you look at, at interventions for burnout, for instance, then if there are interventions, then usually they are at this individual uh, level and and they are not where I would like to to have them in the organization in mm. in terms of job design or in terms of job control or whatever because this is more difficult it's it's more easy to send people on a course for uh, assertiveness or for self-efficacy or whatever or optimism than it is to structure your job your work processes or your management style or whatever uh, but you're right. I mean, it, 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 it's still not common practice to do so. But but when organizations are are uh, having interventions on burnout, it is usual the the individual related things, and then it's about resilience or stress management. Then it is about how to uh, to to acquire uh, social support and collaboration, and uh, how to to uh, 
well, to be more optimistic, this kind of of the, the glass is half full or half empty, this rational emotive therapy about the changing irrational beliefs of, of, of people that are burnout out because they, they always want, they are afraid of making mistakes and they always want to do everything right, etc. So that it is done, but usually it's, it is with larger companies uh, that, that are doing that. I mean, larger companies, they have a huge staff, they have uh, uh, also courses uh, in place, uh, trainings in, in place, consultants uh, that are doing their job and uh, small and medium-sized companies where more people actually are employed. Yeah. Uh, there, there, there it is not. So that's also the problem in the beginning you said about, well, what do companies do? But I mean, if you have, I, I was also in a jury of the kind of, it, it's called crown of, crown of the work, literally translated. It's a Dutch in initiative of, of um, organizations that have a good HR policy, sustainable, etc. And um, what you see there is that, uh, that especially, let's say, startups, small scale, uh, uh, technolo uh, uh, ICT or technology driven uh, companies where young people live, uh, where young people work, that they do these kind of things. And so it's very difficult to say about the organizations because you have small, you have, uh, you have huge organizations, traditional organizations, uh, you have startups, uh, so it's, you have private and you have uh, public uh, organizations. It's very difficult to, to say something about all organizations. So in, in terms of trying to chart a course for organizations to get better in this uh, space and to kind of, you know, do things from an organizational point of view, it's funny, you know, we talk about job crafting now, like as if it's something new, but like you've been talking about it for many years um, and mm. like job design and, and job enrichment, I think was another term I, I heard. Yeah, you. Yeah. Job you rotation. Talk, and, uh, yeah. Could you just kind of talk into the importance of those things and, and why do you think organizations aren't dedicating more time to that? I think it is difficult for them to, in, to, to, uh, to grasp how to do that uh, because when you talk to organizations, they all, they all are are uh, they all agree that this this occupational health is a very important issue mm -hmm. uh, but it's it's important but it's not urgent mm -hmm. uh, so that means that they well they they just don't do it because there is no sense of urgency and they they think well it is difficult to 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 change your processes um, for organizations, this is my experience because you, when you want to rotate jobs or when you want to do job enrichment or uh, this kind of classical uh, uh, job redesign or job design approaches, then, well, it, that's not so easy. I mean, you have to go to your, you have to structure your workflow in a, in a different way. Uh, people actually do not really know how to do that and when there is not an urgency so what you see is organizations when the sickness absence is 10% or more or when people are the good people are leaving the organizations because they don't like it anymore and they find a, a better alternative then organizations start doing things but from their own so 
we're basically we're talking about prevention and this is very difficult to do because prevention is always seen from the perspective of costs and not from the perspective of investment yeah. uh, so that's I, I think the issue that people think well it costs money it's it's out of pocket costs and it's it costs attention and it's not an investment in a better future that pays off later although the empirical evidence suggests that there is a, a, a small but there is a, a positive return on investment and, and, and the result yeah sorry my apologies but uh, for you if you were to identify maybe the top three things that you'd like to see organizations do differently for that uh, idea of you know improving the performance of the organization because their people will be healthier and more engaged and the like what, what would those three things generally be for you yeah, well, there, there's one more thing, if you allow me. This is the sure. it has to do with organizational culture. Yeah, and this is that in many organizations there is a kind of uh, there, there's not an open culture to to talk about to discuss uh, problems that you have at work because people fear that uh, it's bad for the promotion, for the reputation, etc. So what they do is they hide and they don't talk about their problems and uh, they are uh, in, the, in, let's say, in, in progress of burning out over time, but they don't talk about me. I, I, I was with an international law firm and a very interesting case, and they had young women that came from law school, excellent young uh, women. Um, they started their career 25 or so, and by 35, many of them, they were either burned out or they left. And the organization said, well, what, what, what can we do? And we did interviews and it turned out to be that many of these women, they, they actually pretended uh, that they had something else, although they were burnout because they were afraid that it would harm them for their uh, future career. And one of the things that, that came out as an intervention was to, to try to change the culture. And in order to do that, one of the senior partners uh, stood up and uh, was having a speech to all the people and saying that he also suffered from a burnout and blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera. So what they tried to do is, so management by example and giving the, the, the good example, showing the weakness and saying, okay, when you work here, it's it's hugely stressful, demanding work. And it's it's a it's a professional issue uh, when you are burnout. That's it can happen to everybody, but you should address it early. And we have uh, counselors and uh, psychotherapists and all kind of people in place that can help you again. And it's 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 no problem at all to do that. So I think this this very first step of recognizing it and of of being open and and taking away all kind of uh, barriers to people to talk of this, this is a one thing, but it's more about the culture. And then uh, what I think is autonomy is very important. Uh, your, uh, so, and what you see now is that many professionals, uh, like like teachers and doctors, and nurses, they they have to deal with all kind of protocols that their professional autonomy is increased. Although it's very interesting, the the, the general level of the the workforce educational level is going up and going up going up and the the uh, the job control mm. is is also going up and one of the reasons i think is that it is very easy with uh, with the modern 
uh, ICT uh, technology to administer everything, to put everything in spreadsheets and to observe people and to so that you can control people. And um, so th this, I would say, is, is really necessary also for workers to have much more uh, say and much more uh, autonomy and, and participation in, in, in the work process. And then the issue of um, uh, of collaboration, of groups, of uh, support, of good teamwork, working together, um, connecting people. This is extremely important uh, as well, I would say. And if I, I would, you would, you say three things. <laughs> uh, yeah. So yeah, well, one is the autonomy. Two is the connection between people. That's very important. And the third one that is that the task and the responsibilities of people should be very clear because very often this is not. And then you get all kind of role conflicts uh, and also work home conflicts and this kind of conflicting situations are also extremely stressful for people. I was just interested. I mean, like also, um, you know, is it a case that people now talk about it more and that's why we hear more about it? But this whole area of mental health, um, there seems to be like an explosion of everybody talking about it. Now, the question I have is, is it new? Um, are people struggling today like they've never struggled before? Um, or is it a case that they always struggled, but they're just able to talk about it now? I mean, do we have a, a problem now that we didn't have before? Or is it just that people are okay to talk about it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I am now retired and I thought, well, when I'm retired, I want to write a book about this because this is a very <laughs> interesting. No, but but yeah. I mean, um, I, I think it's it's both ways. I mean, if you look at the at the literature uh, in the 19th century, there was the concept of uh, of uh, what is it, uh, neurasthenia, neurasthenia, nervous weakness. And when you look at at the, the the descriptions, the case reports of these neurasthenic people, then it's similar to burnout. And then the the, the reasoning was that well. It's because of the hectic pace of life, because we have telephones, telegraph, artificial lights, uh, steam trains, and it's going all too quick, too much sensory input, and therefore our brain is not able to handle this. And we are actually exhausted by these weak nerves. And now we are saying, well, we have internet, uh, we have uh, social media, we have 24-7 economy, and there is so much information, we cannot handle it, and we get burnout. I mean, this is the same narrative of being overburdened uh, by all kind of changes that are uh, actually demanding for our mental processing. So there is a kind of continuity here. So in that sense, you can also see burnout as a as a modern affliction, as a kind of, of uh, affliction of, of modern modernity, the, 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 the society in the 19th century was changing from an industrial, uh, sorry, from an agricultural to an industrial uh, society. There were all kind of uh, different, uh, different uh, changes there. And now we are changing from an, from an industrial to a service or a post uh, or the digital economy, which also means that. Right? So there is this kind of, well, very general historical parallels. So from that perspective, you could say, well, it's nothing new. It, 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 it was already there forever, but maybe there was a different name. Uh, on the other hand, 
there are some true, let's say, more or less objective indicators like the, the, the work intensification. The people are work more hours. They work more intensely than they did uh, before. Uh, there is uh, more individualization so that people have to to solve their problems of their own and there is no church and blah, blah, blah. So there are all kind of this kind of things that are more special for for our time. So there is also a case to make and to say, well, maybe we are now living indeed in a, in a bit more strenuous time. But there is no ultimate answer to this question because what i think is playing also a role is expectations of people people have now very high expectations if i ask my students who is working for the money then nobody says yes mm -hmm. because they are all working because they want to have uh, uh, nice colleagues they want to have meaningful work they want to contribute to society they want to learn something from it they want to develop themselves which is all legitimate of course but when you have that high expectations then, well, there is a huge risk of, uh, of, of, of failing and a huge risk of uh, being disillusioned. So there is also something in our collectively in the expectations we, we have about life and about work. And when these expectations are not met, then we feel uh, very bad about that. So that's, that's also something that is, that is playing a role. So I, I tend to see burnout really as, a, at least in part, as a kind of, you should be very careful by saying that because I made it clear before that there are some some group of people who really have a kind of disorder and yeah. really function and really, really very, very serious problems. And you should not be uh, think very lightly about that. On the other hand, if you look at people with burnout complaints, which is more, well, with a mind complaints about not feeling well at work, feeling a bit exhausted, but not so much that you can do your, your work and not anymore being disgruntled. And uh, well, this is this is increasing, but probably there is this also this dynamic uh, because it's it's a lot in the press. People have high expectations. There are a lot of psychologists around, so that in in part also the uh, the uh, the supply uh, is, is, is actually influencing the demand and not the other way around. So there are different processes going on. It's difficult to... to uh, John, there are, it, it's, uh, it's a lot of words, but what I'm actually saying is, I don't know, it works both <laughs> ways. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love you to uh, deliver that um, paper on that because I think it's so interesting. I mean, like you talk about, you know, the church and whatever, you know, things that maybe people rebelled against. And suddenly you're going to go, well, have you replaced that with anything in your life? Or is this just a life full of uncertainty and um, yeah. you know, too much choice? Uh, many people are now looking for meaning and they follow all kind of uh, uh, courses and, and, and doing meditation or, or sweating in a teepee or whatever they do to find any kind of meaning. Just turning to leadership, um, obviously it's such an important role in any organization and it's funny like the data that that we're finding is that oftentimes the the sickest people in the organization are actually in the c-suite under massive pressure and and suffering from being yeah. burnt out and the like so i'm just interested to know when you're interacting with leadership what are you telling them that they should be doing so that they can actually get 
this elusive, you know, higher performance from uh, their organization. Yeah, you mean towards the, the leadership, towards their followers or towards yeah. the other people or for yeah. themselves? I suppose yeah, yeah, okay. two sides to that, isn't there? You know, there's a degree of self-care too. Uh, and that's kind of yeah, where it starts. Yeah. It was, yeah. Yeah, well, well, of course, there is the well-known principle that, that, that or the Peter principle, or how do you call it, that people get promoted until the level that they are not performing <laughs> well. And so, so, and what you still see in companies uh, that people are promoted uh, to, a, to a leadership position, not because they are leaders per se, uh, but because they are good craftspeople or they, they are technically good and so. So that, that and what, in, in my opinion, it's very often, therefore, it's very often not that leaders are are unwilling, uh, but that they are not, not, not able to do, uh, that they do not have the skills to, to, uh, to address issues that they actually should address uh, when, when people, uh, so they, they have to care for their people in a, in a psychological sense, in a way that the people feel well, that they can, that they are motivated, that they collaborate with each other, that there are no conflicts, that they are connected together, that you, you have them grow and develop, etc. So it's people, it's, it's kind of managing people is, is, and, and managing their, mental state um including their emotion is is very important for the performance and this is not and people know how to drive performance at least they think they know uh but this they feel very insecure about how to to address these uh the psychological aspects of their their managerial role and that's what I said. Is in my experience, it's not so much that that uh, people actually don't know that, but they know it, but they don't know what what to do about it. And that's what I said. Is in my experience, it's not so much that that uh, people actually don't know that, but they know it, but they don't know what what to do about it. And then you see that supervisors find it extremely difficult to to have that kind of dialogue with their team. Okay, this is what the, the data are telling us. So what do we think about it? And how can we, and what is my role in, in changing that? When there is, the communication is not good, or the tasks are not clear, or uh, there are conflicts uh, in, the, in the team. There is a lot of bureaucracy. Uh, there is no work-home balance is not working. So how can I address this as a as a team? This is indeed for many people is very difficult to do. And of course they have many reasons why they are not not performing in that way very well because they are under pressure very very hard. They have also to care for diversity for. Uh, sustainability for awkward they have a budget that they have to take care for so this is coming as a one of those things that they also have to do yeah. and some of them they are natural talents and they do it very well and uh, and I, I developed this concept of what I've called in engaging leadership which is about uh, inspiring strengthening connecting and, and empowering uh, people and, and when leaders are doing this 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 kind of leadership behaviors well then they are on the right track uh but yeah how to get them there that's that's 
Yes. In order so we know what to do. But, uh, it, it's amazing yeah. how some of the old style management techniques of um, power and control and kind of pressure just seem to be still the norm within, you know, okay, there's a couple of organizations out there where, you know, very progressive yeah. leadership, yeah. Yeah. but in the main, as you said, in the SMEs, in the, you know, the medium sized organizations, it seems to be the order of the day, you know, still the old way of leading. In the Netherlands, about 60, 70% of, of all people were working from home. Uh, in financial services, almost 100%. Uh, public administration, almost 100%. And they, well, the, the role of leadership completely changed. Actually, they were not so relevant anymore. And now, now this COVID is over. And now these workers are saying, well, I some of them, they want to go back to, 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 yeah. their, to their office. But many of them say, well, working home for three days is not that bad because I have a lot of autonomy, there is no commuting time, I'm more flexible, my, my, I, I, I can work here without interruptions, or my, my, my uh, work performance is very well. And, and now you see the unease, more or less, by the, by the leaders. They say, well, yeah, okay, it, it works at home, but I'd rather have them here so that I have some kind of control. So you see that, and what I think is also that this whole COVID thing was very threatening for many managers and many leaders because suddenly the whole show was run without them. Yeah. <laughs> or at least they had they had not that uh, important role that they thought they had before. Yeah. Right? Because now they, they, they were more on the distance and people were able to, to work from themselves. And we did some small research and, and also in this in this this uh, consultancy firm we noticed that the problem is more that people work too much mm. uh, because they can always work and 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 so forth and especially when you have a little bit uh, workaholic differences uh, then yeah. they work the tendency is is more that they work too much than they work too little yeah. So on balance, it is actually a very good deal to work at home. But for managers and, and team leaders, this is a very hard thing to do. Probably also because they fear that they might uh, might lose their jobs because they made redundant because we can do without them. Yeah, and I, I'm just interested because this old, this old idea of, of control and of uh, layers of, of, of managing, it still it, it dies very easily. It's, uh, yeah. And very, very, you, you talk about work workaholics. Um, could you talk a little bit about that? Because, you know, the, the, the factors that might actually just, you know, when you say them, that people might actually kind of go, wow, maybe maybe that's me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, the workaholics is the, this is more of a. There is a very strong uh, personality component here, I think, because it's a kind. Of, it's defined as a, as a, uh, to work very hard in an obsessive way. So it's it's, it's an uncontrollable need to work excessively hard, and this uncontrollable thing, is is the personality to a, a very large extent. I mean, there are a lot of people that work excessively hard. Mm. Uh, I mean, uh, managers do this, entrepreneurs do this, artists do this, 
people have a conflict with their wife, they'd rather spend that at, at at their at their office than uh, than being at home. So, or they want to have a, a second mortgage or a bigger car. So, so they work very hard. But then you are not an, uh, a workaholic. The defining part is this obsession, and this is tied to a personality that is. Uh, let's say, uh, has problems in delegating, is, uh, is uh, very controlling, is uh, very perfectionist. Uh, what you also see is that, that people have sometimes a history, like it, it runs in family, because there is an example of the, the, especially the father who is like that. So it's a, also a matter of upbringing. Uh, this nagging voice in your in your head that's saying, "Well, you shouldn't stop. You should continue." And and here is an inter very interesting um, kind of uh, uh, mistake that's very often made because, on the surface, burnout uh, sorry uh, engaged and workaholic uh, persons seem to be similar because also engaged persons they work very hard and they spend a lot of energy in their work and blah 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 but there is a motivational difference because the the engaged people they are intrinsically motivated and for them work is a kind of appetite so they have an approach motivation and with workaholics they have an avoidance motivation and they, they want to avoid the negative emotions that are associated with non-working so when a workaholic is not working then he feels very bad and therefore, he feels guilty, restless, jittery, uh, etc., nervous. Uh, and in order to avoid these negative emotions, he's working. So he's driven by his negative emotions and not by the positive emotions of being intrinsically motivated. And is so that, that this psychological Sorry, is that deep insecurity? There are some indications that. This also has to do with what in, in certain motivational theories uh, is called introjective motivation. So that you have introjected a kind of norm that uh, you should always work, that you should do your best, that you should never fail, that you should not make a mistake. And this is introjected in your, in your, in your head, so to speak, by your social environment. So you have introjected a norm that is uh, so high that you you can only reach this by working and working and working and not letting loose. Mm. So there is there is this strong connection with personality and with the learning behavior in the in the past. And what make, makes it especially difficult is that it is also a, a kind of rewarding. Because when you look at the literature, you see that people who are engaged or yeah, who are workaholics, that they earn more and they, they make uh, faster uh, progress in their career. So there, and and uh, leaders also like their people who are uh, who are workaholics because they always work. Colleagues, not so much because they are a bit bossy and they never delegate and they always know it better and they want to do it themselves. So it's difficult to collaborate with. Uh, but for bosses, they are very, uh, very useful, uh, but only in the shorter run. In the longer run, they have a high risk of burning out. So that's um, that's a mixed blessing, so to speak. So the worst case but, scenario is to be a, a burnt out workaholic. Yeah, yeah, well, that, that's what you very often see is that that people they, they they have this kind of personality structure that they 
they have to work and they have to work. They cannot let loose. They cannot enjoy. They cannot uh, uh, kind of 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 uh, um, recover or do something else. And they 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 only have to work. And that's well, if if you do not recover, recuperate, or replenish your energy, then finally you are not. Yeah. Absolutely. And and so for you, uh, kind of coming to the conclusion of the interview, I mean, well, I, you uh, probably have been a bit of a workaholic all your life, have you? <laughs> well, I, uh, according to my wife, I, uh, according to my wife, I'm a workaholic, but according to my own logic, I'm a kind of mixed type that I uh, engage with a workaholic. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, there, there is some. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To, to be honest, there is also some some kind of uh, yeah some workaholic tendency, but it's not that uh, I can also let loose completely. And when I'm on holiday or when I'm making a business trip, I have two days extra and enjoy all kind of things without feeling guilty or whatsoever. So okay. that's true. But, but, but you're uh, actually, yeah. you're actually retired now from the university, are you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Listen, Wilmar, uh, thank you so much for being generous with your time today and, and for talking and yeah. taking through your great work. And thank you for your work, because your work has been, you know, hugely instrumental in uh, a lot of improvements in workplaces and our understanding of many of the concepts and uh, that art you have of um, making the complex and scientific or whatever um, real and easy. It'll never be easy to implement, as you say, but um, uh, I, we, we won't stop trying. And that's the, that's the main okay. thing. Well, maybe you might have recognized some of the symptoms that uh, Wilmar discussed there about burnout. And maybe you'll be able to recraft your job to try and ensure that you're not going to suffer from it in the future. Our thanks to Wilmar Schofelli, who, as usual, brings great clarity to that subject. So if there are any topics you'd like us to discuss on the Work Healthy podcast, please feel free to drop me a line to john at healthyplacetowork.com and we'll do our very best to cover them. Join us for more Work Healthy podcasts coming up where we'll be joined by Chief Diversity Officer with the IIS Group, Deloitte's Global Head of Wellbeing and Wellbeing Thought Leader, Ron Gotzel. See you soon.